0: Tonight's going to uh, just be very transparent. Um, I got serious about missions. Um, it was, I had been traveling for a while, and I knew the importance of missions, and I knew the importance of supporting, whether it be Speed the Light or BGMC or just monthly missionary support. Um, I knew the importance, but I really didn't know the heart. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference to understanding why we do something and then really feeling the burden of why we do something. And uh, I was in Singapore, and I had been preaching for uh, about seven days, and there was a pastor that were there at this youth camp. They had come in to learn how to do youth camps in the Philippines. And uh, so we were talking, and they were talking about these monsoons that were hitting the Philippines. And he was talking about how much water was coming down. Well, one day we were sitting at this dinner, and he looked at me, and he just kind of was gripped, and he says, you need to help me rescue my kids you got to help me save my kids and I'm thinking, you know, just the ADD person that I am, I'm thinking he's talking about his own physical kids like they're in danger from these floods and I said, "Well, what do we got to do? We got to get a plane tickets, we got to get them hotels." I said, "Man, I'll max out my credit card. I'll do whatever I have to do. Let's go get your kids out." And he goes, "No, I'm not talking about my physical kids." He said, "I have got we got to rescue the kids of my nation." And he started talking about how that <clears throat> the Philippines is a Catholic nation. It, the majority of like between 85 and 90 percent of the nation claims Catholic. And so even though they're not practicing, they still have the mentality of it. So they don't, they don't have birth control or anything like that. And so the families, even they're very poor, stricken families, they may have between nine and fifteen kids. And so they live in these small places and their children are starving. And men will go into these small villages and they'll offer money to rescue these kids. And they'll say, Hey, listen, we'll give you hundreds of US dollars. For these kids, and that we'll put them to work in the city, and they'll work in these coffee houses and these tea places. We may have them helping uh, families and nannying and all these different things. And they're talking to these families, and these families are going, Man, that uh, the average salary, listen to this the average salary per year, annual salary for in the Philippines is 300 US dollars, and so. When they say, here's, here's 50 U.S. dollars or 100 U.S. dollars, that's a lot of money for, for these people. And so they're sitting there and they're like, hopefully this is a better life. But worst case scenario, we're going to not watch them starve. We're not going to watch our other kids starve. And so they sell their kids for this money and they give them their, their birth certificates and they give them rights to these people and, and they take them. And they, they put them into sex trafficking, and they sell these children all over the world. And he started going into detail about how that these men that buy these kids are called zookeepers. And the reason they call them zookeepers is what they keep the kids in. One of the places in, in particular in Manila is called a zoo. It looks just like a zoo. Iron cages with concrete floors, and these kids are packed into these buildings, and people come, and they buy children. <laughs> And they can buy infants really, really cheap there. And so they, they, they black market kids. And so one of the things, if you don't, you can buy a five-month-old baby or a six-month-old baby for five U.S. dollars. If you don't have a way to carry that baby, you can buy a dog kennel for 10 U.S. dollars. And he starts telling me, and I mean, my heart's gripped. And I said, man, we got to do something. He says, we have these homes for these children. They're not orphanages. They're homes where they actually will live with a the family. They'll go to school. We'll put clothes on their back, food in their stomach." And they'll get an education, and they'll get a life. But we've got to purchase these kids. And he said, will you help me? <clears throat> I went home, Pastor Bob, and I got, I got passionate. I mean, God lit a fire inside of me, like, because I'm passionate about kids. And I said, i got to do something. And in about a month and a half, we raised about $10,000. He told me we needed to shoot for about $10,000 and we could rescue about 100 kids. And I said, man, I'm going to raise $10,000. If I've got to beg, if I've got to sell a liver, I'll do whatever it takes. I'm going to get $10,000. And in about a month and a half in services like this, we just took up offerings for these things. And I'll never forget when the pastor told me how much we needed or how much we got. It was a little bit more than $10,000. I called that pastor, Pastor Abad, that day and I said, hey, listen. I said, I've got the money. I'll be there in a matter of weeks. And he was weeping on the phone. And I bought the plane ticket the night before I was flying out. I fell asleep. And uh, I, was, I was flying out early that next morning. And I, I went to bed and I fell asleep. And I had this dream. And in this dream, it was as exactly as they explained it. It was these zoos. And it was like kids, hundreds of kids packed into these cages And I remember looking, and these kids were dirty, and they were basically, they were wearing next to nothing. They were skinny. They were bruised. They just didn't look good. And I remember walking up to this man, and I handed him $10,000, and he looked at me. And for some reason in my dream, he says, you get 1,000 kids and no more, 1,000 kids, no more. And I said, all right. And he opens up the cage. And I start just ripping kids out of there. And I'm like telling them, come on, get out of here. And I can hear him counting down 991, 970, 801, 720. And he's going down. And it just seems like I'm just pulling kids out there. And I'm not making a difference. I'm not, there's not a dent. It's like for every one kid we pull out, 10 more take their place. And all of a sudden I heard him say in my dream, you get one and no more. One and no more. And I looked and I was like, how do I pick? There's, they're, they're still here. But as I looked through this crowd of children from all ages, there was a little girl that was facing the other direction and she didn't have a top on. I could just see bruises and scratches on her back. I could see her ribs and, and I was drawn to her. And as right before I went to grab her, this about three to four year old boy fell into my arms and he's gasping for air and he's dying. And I remember looking him in the face and tears tears just running down his face. And I looked at him, and the zookeeper said this. He says, Do you want that one? Is that the one you pick? And I was sitting there and I looked up and I saw this little girl, and she's the one I wanted. But how could I leave this little boy here? And this man in my dream said, Don't pick that one. He's worthless. He's going to die. Today, before the day even closes, he's going to die. Don't waste your money on him. He's worthless. And I remember sitting there going, no, as a dad, no, he's not. There's no way I can allow this little boy, if he's going to die, he's not going to die in prison. He's going to die in the father's hands. And I remember sitting there and I said, yes, this is the one I want. And you know how dreams are weird. Instantly, I'm outside of the cage and the cage is shut and I'm holding this little boy and he says, no more. And I'm holding this little boy and I remember he just went limp and he took his last breath and he died. And I remember sitting there going, you are not worthless. You were worth it. And I just remember pulling him up to my chest and just weeping over this little boy and saying, God, thank you that he didn't die in a cage. Thank you that even if I arrived just at the right moment, God, thank you that he didn't die in a cage. And then all of a sudden I looked up and this little girl turned around and it was my Cameron. It was my little girl in this cage. And I remember her eyes about bulged out of her head and she turned around in fear, struggled, and she started screaming, Daddy, don't leave me here. Daddy, don't leave me here. She said, Daddy, please. They're hurting me. Daddy, they're doing things to me. And I remember anger raged rage up inside of me. And I started banging. I didn't have this little boy in my arms no more. And I'm banging on this cage. And I'm trying to open it up. And I'm threatening to kill this other guy. And I said, she's not yours. She's mine. I never sold her to you. I never gave her to you. She's mine. And he said, you had your choice. And you picked something worthless over something that was precious. And I remember at that moment, I woke up. Have you ever had that dream you want to just keep on going? Like, I'm going to kill this man. I'm going to rip him apart. And I woke up, and my heart just so heavy, and I'm, I'm just torn apart. I'm broken, and I'm literally just sweating. And, and, and Shelly said that it was crazy. She said, I was punching the pillow. Thank God I wasn't punching her. But I was punching the pillow, and I was banging on it. And she said I was, like, mumbling and screaming, and I was praying in tongues, And she said, I was crying in my dream. And I said, baby girl, and I was was a little bit nervous on telling her the dream. I ended up sharing with her. But that day I got on that plane. I'm flying. I'm like, God, what was that? What was that? And all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me. He says, I let you feel what I feel. He said, those are my kids, just like you felt with your daughter being in that cage. Those are my children. And he said, maybe they're not being sold into sex trafficking. Maybe they're not in actual cages. Maybe they're just in bondage of drugs and alcohol. Maybe they're homeless. Maybe they're suicidal. He says, but somebody has got to go rescue them. And I realized that's what really missions is all about. At any level, whatever we label it, whatever we call it, it's about rescuing people. You saw it up there. Four, 43% of the world's population does not know. Jesus has never heard the gospel. 3.1 billion people that if they were to die today, they would spend eternity in hell. Why? Because they didn't even hear. And there are people that are willing to go. But here's the, here's the reality of it. The U.S., the, uh, the Assemblies of God missionaries cannot physically, it is, in our, it is in our rules now, they cannot go buy vehicles or equipment on their own. So if they have a call of God, and they're called to, let's say, uh, somewhere in Europe, they've sold everything, they get there, they have no equipment, they have no transportation, they are completely reliant upon public transportation to do the things that God's called them to do. In some countries, let me explain, that's physically impossible. Especially where it's illegal to preach the gospel. And they're reliant. And the reason that, that we've made that, made that a truth is because this: we had missionaries going and buying vehicles on their own, taking out personal loans, interest-only bearing loans. And we have loans for vehicles that don't even exist anymore because they were unfunded. That's why teenagers have to do their part. Thank God for what you guys are doing. Thank God for the goal of $3,000, and you've already done $2,000. But we've got to do our part. Why? Because people need to know Jesus. And so Speed of Light purchases sound equipment, lighting equipment. It produces, uh, it buys uh, projecting equipment. It, it buys, uh, it's digging water wells right now in, in Africa. It's, it's, it's buying vehicles. One of the exciting things that, and, and I think, Pastor, you said that uh, uh, Free International, Pastor Mike, you're familiar with him. He was a youth pastor here. <clears throat> Mike Bartell. We recently just partnered with Free International. Free International rescues children and rescues people from the sex trafficking in the United States of America. The FBI and the, uh, the, the um, uh, attorney generals from each state has approached Free International and said, We need your help. Free International. But most of the people that work for Free International are U.S. Assembly of God missionaries. And they said, we need your help. We need you to go into the schools and start warning kids of what to look for. We need your help. And they asked them, they said, we need you to have mobile units for things like the Super Bowl, things like the the, the things like um, uh, the, the uh, World Series where children, golf tournaments, where children are being Do you know that in the Super Bowl, more children, over a hundred thousand children are being trafficked? A hundred thousand children. That's my, that didn't even make sense to me, are being trafficked on one day. And the FBI, government agencies, attorney generals have come to Free International and said, we need your help. They said, we can't get into schools. And they said, that is no longer a problem. Present this letter to any principal and any district administration and you have full rights to go in and talk about this to the schools. And if they don't let you in, they'll deal directly with us. So we have all these opportunities, but they said, we need, mobile, we need mobile units that can go in, these vehicles that can go into these and, and work from the ground. They said, well, we don't have the finances. They came to Speed the Light within, within, a, within about two and a half minutes. Over $400,000 was given to, to Free International to buy two of these vehicles. That's because of youth ministries like yours and churches like yours that are supporting Speed the Light. Speed the Light is great things. I'm going to be talking about a bunch of different things, but I want to talk to you. It's not just about money tonight. Please hear me. There's things like this, Pringles cans. I'm reminded of a, of a little girl that said, hey, I'm going to, raise, I'm going to get changed to change the world. 11 years old, and, and it, there's, there's these really cool stickers. This is an old Speed of Light theme called Finished. And uh, you just wrap it around there, and then you put extra change and stuff in there. But one of the things that she did, 11 years old, said, I want to raise money to change the world. Change to change the world. She went door to door. She went to, she went to uh, different businesses and said, would you help me change the world? This is what it's going to. It's going to buy vehicles, sound equipment, dig water wells. And she, they said, yeah, would you give us this? This little girl raised over $2,800. She did her part. We talked about give and, and God seeing what we're doing. Can I tell you, every single one of us can do something. And I'm going to preach to you a message called, Is There Not a Cause in just a few moments. We're going to be talking about the life of David. But over this, can I tell you, this is not just a youth thing. Just like BGMC is not a children's thing. It is a body of Christ thing. But today, we're going to focus on Speed of Light. We're going to take up an offering at the very end of this. But one of the things that you can do is, at, is, is um, and I'm not looking. I don't know. I didn't realize there was money, and I just saw this envelope. But I'm not looking. On the envelopes in front of you, there is a, a thing that says Speed the Light, okay, STL. You can take that and place your offering in it and it goes directly to Speed the Light. The other thing that you can do is the money has to be in by the end of the year or by the, uh, by the About the middle of December, but it's good to have it in by the beginning of December. There's things that you can do over the next week. Maybe you don't have the funds to do something, but God puts a number in your heart. And you're going to work on that. Not just you kids, but adults. Will you help us? to purchase vehicles and equipment that's needed for our missionaries? Will you partner with us as a youth ministry, as a, as, a youth, as a youth team? Will you help? See, we're trying to do our part, but it's going to take the entire body of Christ. So if God speaks something to you, would you just simply write on that Speed the Light envelope, uh, just write on it and put Speed the Light, or maybe God puts a number on your heart, would you do everything in your power to raise money, maybe over the next five weeks? To be a part of Speed the Light. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And if you want more information, there's these little booklets up here that that, kind of explains a lot more of what Speed the Light is. If nothing else, would you take it so that you can pray? Would you take it? Last year, listen to this. Last year alone, $8.7 million was raised for Speed the Light. Across our nation. Since its founding, since, it's, since it was founded in 1945 by a man by the name of Ralph Harris, over $245 million has been raised for Speed the Light. Other denominations, other missionaries, there was something that with one of the particular denominations just recently where they're having to release. Thousands of their missionaries because they don't have the, the ability to support them. They don't have the finances anymore. Can I tell you, the Assemblies of God got a knock on the door by hundreds of these missionaries and said, hey, listen, can we go to work for you? We're not asking for credentials, but can we go into these nations? We already have ministries that are founded. Can we partner with you? And you know what the Assemblies of God said? Absolutely. Let's do this thing together. The human right is not denominational. The human right isn't about what label we call ourselves. The human right is a God mandate. And so we just recently got hundreds of missionaries that are becoming MAs, missionary assistants, to missionaries out there and sent them out all over the world. Why? Because our goal is to evangelize the entire world so that none shall perish. Amen? so may God speak to your hearts over the next few moments and then we're going to take up an offering and it's all of it's going to speed the light. I believe you're not only going to reach $3000, I believe you're going to surpass it. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 16, 1 Samuel chapter 16. verses 6 through 13. Let me preach to you just for the next couple of moments on is there not a cause Is there not a cause? 1 Samuel 16, verse 6 through 13. Father, I ask that you would lend me your voice. That they wouldn't hear my opinion or my advice. But Father, they would hear your heart. Jesus, we want to love you. And because we love you, Lord, we want to start loving what you love. And so, Lord, would you begin to reveal your heart to us. It's impossible to seek your face without being introduced to your heart. And your heart is people. And so, Lord, I pray that you would reveal your heart to us tonight. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. First Samuel 16, verse six through, uh, 6 through 13. It says, When they had arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider your, his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and Abinadab had him pass through and pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shama pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. But he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him, for we will not even sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in, and he was a ruddy, or he was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him, he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Let me give you a little bit of history here, what's going on. Basically, God, the people, desi- they desired a king. They rejected God as their king. And so they said, give us a king to lead us. Everybody else, every other nation has a king. Give us a king. Someone that can lead us into battle. And so God gives the people what they want. And he he gives them a man by the name of Saul. And Saul had all the potential to be an incredible leader. It said that he stood a foot taller, not only physically, but but, uh, as a leader, he stood a foot taller. He stood out from the crowd. But instead of being a man that would cause that would lead people to God, he was being a man that was full of pride and arrogance and ignorance. And he was going to lead people astray. He did what he wanted. And so God rejected, rejected him as king. And all of a sudden he began to speak to Samuel. He said, I'm going to raise up a king that has a heart after me. And he says, go to the go to the man, Jesse, go to his house, and out of his household, one of his sons I'm going to anoint as king. So he goes to the town, he begins to talk, and he says, Jesse, bring in your sons for the Lord, not man. The Lord has, a, has picked one of your sons to be king. So Jesse has eight sons. Don't you think that he would pick all eight sons to come in? No, he doesn't. He brings seven of his sons because he didn't think, in reality, it wasn't that he was just rejecting David. It wasn't that he didn't see nothing good in David. He just saw something even greater in his older sons. So he brings his seven sons and Jesse, and and David is 17 years old and he's just this boy and he's raising sheep. He's a great shepherd. He protects the sheep. But all of a sudden they bring him in and Samuel, even Samuel, the prophet, sees Eliab, Jesse's firstborn son, and he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. He looked the part. He would have been been a Navy SEAL Team 6 type personality. He would have had that type of training. That's the type of military man that he was. He looked like a leader. He demanded respect. When he walked into a room, everybody looked and said, man, he's somebody. And when he walked in and he's standing there in front of Samuel, even Samuel went, wait a second, surely this is the one that God has picked. Surely this is going to be the next king. And all of a sudden, watch how God corrects him. He said, Samuel, take your eyes off of appearance. Take your eyes off of abilities. He has all the abilities, but he's lacking one thing. He doesn't have a heart. And I'm looking for a heart. I'm not looking at what they can do. I'm looking at what I can do. I want somebody that's after me. Because the last guy that I anointed, he had all the appearance, but he didn't have a heart. And he said, I've rejected him. And all of a sudden, here Jesse goes, Okay, well, if Eliab, surely it's Shama, and he has Shama come in, and Shama gets rejected, and wait a second, okay, or Ab- Abinadab, and then he has Shama come and stand. And all of a sudden, he goes through all seven sons, and I can imagine Jesse going, Wait a second, did not God say he's gonna use one of my sons? And Samuel says, is there not another one? He says, yeah, the youngest. If you actually will read some of the older translations, he says the katan. Katan defined means insignificant one. The youngest one. The insufficient one. He's, he's, he's not going to be much. He, he can't. He's too young. He's, he's, he's not that impressive. The katan. The little one. And Samuel says, bring him here and we will not even sit down. He was putting a demand, an urgency on. He said, bring him here. And so David, he didn't have a chance to go home and change. He just comes in off of the field, probably smelling like sheep. Probably, he probably has some stuff all over him. He's probably stepped in something. He, he walks in, and he's like, okay, Dad. Hey, Dad, did you call? 17 years old. He walks in off the field, and all of a sudden, God begins to go, that's the one. And, and Samuel comes up, and you can imagine. He has this horn of oil, and it starts boiling. And God says, anoint him. And all of a sudden, he's walking towards him and all of a sudden God's like can you imagine David like I don't know what this guy's doing this is really awkward why, why is he like looking at me like that and all of a sudden he anoints six quarts of oil dumps it on David like okay that's weird I didn't really like these clothes but just stand in there six quarts of oil because that's what was used to anoint a king six quarts like Okay, I'm drowning. This is weird. And he stood there and he gets anointed as, "Can you imagine Eliab? God rejected me for him? Does God not know who I am? Has God not ever seen me fight? Can you imagine Shama? <laughs> hey, I, I'm not the oldest. But I'm definitely not the youngest. He picked him. Maybe God's not who he thought we thought he was. Maybe he's not that all that powerful and that smart. Because me and my brothers could have done a lot better job than him. I mean just read read, read about these men and what they did afterwards. Nothing. They turned their backs on God. Proven fact of that is not one time are these men ever labeled or classified as mighty men in David's army. So they probably chose to not ever serve David in his army. And so all of a sudden, David's getting anointed. And guess what happens? You'd think he gets anointed. He's going to go to the throne. No, he gets sent back to the field. Hey, 17-year-old anointed kid, go back to the field. Now watch this. Three things I want to point out to you tonight, and then we're going to get into these altars, and we're going to spend some time in prayer. Three things, three points is this. God's not looking for one, someone to look the part. He's looking for someone to do their part. The second thing is God's not looking for someone to just make noise. He's looking for somebody to make a difference. And the third point is this. God is not looking at what we can do, but what we will allow Him to do through us. See, out of eight brothers, David was the youngest, the Catan, the small, insufficient, insignificant one. He was never picked to lead or expected to make a difference. He was a kid, not a king. He led sheep, not people. He was left in a field almost forgotten about and overlooked. All of his brothers passed before Samuel, starting from the oldest and best option. Each and every one of the seven brothers passed by, but no heart was found. See, I've found out talent will take us so far. But heart is what was needed. God looked past their abilities and was looking for someone that could be trusted with an assignment. So let's talk about this. The first point is this. God is not looking for someone to just look the part, but to do their part. David was not looking for an opportunity. David was not looking for an opportunity to be noticed, but just being faithful. I've found out God opportunities are opened by our keys of faithfulness. God opportunities are opened by the keys of our faithfulness. See, God sees their faithfulness. when He he sees our faithfulness when no one else sees, when no one else does. David gets anointed as king, but notice he doesn't go to the throne. He gets sent back to the field. And then all of a sudden you start reading in 1 Samuel chapter 17 about how that his dad came to him and said, Hey, listen, David, there's a war going on between the, the Israelis and, and, and the Philistines, and I need you to go out and find out how the war's going. They didn't have Fox News. They didn't have CNN. So would you go find out what's going on and how the battle goes? And it says in the story, I want you to get a hold of this. It says in the story that, that, that the children of Israel army For 40 days, every morning and every night, they went up and they drew these battle lines. And basically what this battle line is, they didn't just draw a line. They would line up and they would get ready to battle. And so every morning and every night, they would stand up and they would go to this line and they would say, we're going to fight today. We're going to win. We're going to conquer you. And they drew these battle lines up against the Philistines until... One particular man, his nickname was the shock warrior. And the reason that Goliath's nickname was the shock warrior was because when he stepped in front of man, it says that he sent man into shock that their hearts would stop beating. Just by him standing there without doing anything or saying anything, he would literally terrify them. And man would lose heart. And all these men, thousands of men, would draw this battle line saying, today we're going to fight. And they didn't just do that once. They didn't just do that twice. They did it every morning and every night for 40 days. Over 80 times they said, we're going to do something. Until the shock warriors stepped up. And then they went running. How many times have we said we're going to make a difference? How many times have we said we're going to do something amazing? I talked this morning, making our life count. How many times have we said, yes, let's do this? And so David, he goes, he goes, and he hears this noise. He hears this noise. See, God's not looking for someone to look the part. We are great at looking the part. We can have our Christian T-shirts on and never do anything Christian. Let me let me just share you something. Do you know where Christianity got its terminology? Anybody know? Scriptural, right? Book of Acts. It says and they were first called Christians in Antioch. You know why they were called Christians? They didn't claim themselves. They didn't say, hey, we're Christians. You know what they said? Is we want to tell you about this man. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for you. He can heal you, save you, and deliver you. And all these things, and grace be poured out to you, and righteousness, and he can take something that's old and make it new, and all these, and he loves you enough. God sent his son. He start, they start talking about this, right? And then all of a sudden, they said, hey, listen, can we pray for you? And bow, they would be healed, They'd preach with authority. They loved people unconditionally. Even though they were being beaten, they weren't giving up on people. And all of a sudden, the people in Antioch said, wait a second, you resemble the very thing that you talk about. So therefore, he's Christ, so you must be little Christ's. You must be Christians, Christ-like. Christians was never terminology that they gave themselves. It was what the world gave to them because of what they were doing. So their behavior was an exact, exact, exact replica of what they were preaching. How many of us can be taken to court for, for not living up to the standard? Right? Are we doing what Jesus did? Are we we acting the same way that Jesus acted? Are we laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover? Are we prophesying? Are we going and feeding the hungry? Are we doing the things that Jesus did? Because God's not looking for someone to just go around wearing the the latest Christian t-shirt. They're not looking for someone to go, hey, listen, this is our new church shirt. He's looking, not looking for someone to look the part, but to do the part. There were thousands of men that looked like they were warriors, but they would stand there and say, we We're going to fight until the enemy came and they ran for their lives. But see, those men, it's, when they made up these battle lines, they would make all this noise trying to intimidate each other. We get the terminology, they were talking trash. <laughs> They were talking smack. They were talking smoke. Whatever your terminology is, they were trying to call each other out. And they would make these noise. They would hit their swords against each other. They would hit their swords against their, against their shields. They would make this noise, trying to make themselves look bigger than they actually are. But The next point is this. Not only is God not looking for someone to just look the part, but to do their part, God's not looking for somebody to make noise. He's looking for somebody to make di- a difference. See, David, watch this. David is found back in the field just being faithful when his dad comes to him and sends him on a mission. Hey, David, I know you were anointed as, as, as the king, but listen, I don't need a king right now. I need a delivery boy. And all I need you to do is delivery, deliver this food. Bring this cheese and crackers to your brother and then bring back news of how the battle goes. Are your brothers okay? David is nothing more than an anointed delivery boy. And it says that as David approaches, he approaches the battle, the battlefield, he hears the sound of a battle cry. But he finds them doing nothing but just making noise. Church, let's stop. Let's do more with our lives than just make noise. David shows up and it says this. David goes to the storehouse and he drops off the cheese and the crackers to the people. And he says, listen, i got to go out. And he gets out there and I, I'm just, I'm just kind of just a little bit creative, and I'm thinking of how this generation, if a 17-year-old acted, because everybody wants to watch a fight, and so they would have grabbed their iPhone and said, hey, we're going to record this, and and, and, and we're going to put this on YouTube, right? Because he was Jewish. Just, <laughs> right, you know, And he gets this, he's so excited, like, man, we're going to watch something. And he gets there, and guess what? All his brothers are hiding behind tents, and he's standing there, and he's looking at this really big guy, and he's like, whoa. And all of a sudden, he's looking at him, he goes, like, what are you doing? And they're like, get over here. Get over here, boy. What are you doing here? Well, dad told me to send some cheese and crackers, but and wanted to know how the battle goes, but, man, I didn't realize I had sisters instead of brothers. Because <laughs> he could hear Goliath saying, is there not a man amongst you? I guess not. I you're living up to the standard that I've always had for you. You're sissies. And they're mad at him. And David says, Wait a second. Nobody's going to shut him up. You guys are making all this noise, but you're, nobody's doing anything. Nobody's making a difference. You guys are cowards. And all of a sudden, David starts asking a question. Does anybody know why David killed Goliath? People say, well, because he was the king. He was anointed to be king. That's what he was chosen to do. You better start reading the scripture a little bit more. Fine-tune. David killed Goliath for a reward. (laughs) Three times, David goes and asks people, hey, man, what does the person receive for killing him? And they said, well... You get his fine daughter for your wife. You get up to half his kingdom, and your dad will never have to pay taxes again or his family. And he's like, What? Have you ever heard of something and it's too hard to believe, like the first time? And you're like, Say, What? Say that again. You get what? And he goes, Man, yeah, you get to marry Micah. What, Mike? Dude, she's fine, man. Oh my gosh, I have a poster of her in my room too. She's nice. She's nice. You get hurt. She don't even get a choice. That's Whew, I'm feeling brave all of a sudden. Right? A little romance in the air will make ignorant, uh, make fear go away and cause ignorance to stand up, right? Like, hmm And all of a sudden, he's like, and you get what else? Man, you get a good portion of the kingdom. And your dad has to pay t- I don't care about my dad. <laughs> You can pay taxes. We get (laughs) Micah. Say that again. Are you serious? And he's asking a third time, and guess who shows up? Eliab. And he says, aren't there some sheep you're supposed to be playing with, boy? You're not a warrior. You're a shepherd. And that prophet So called prophet evidently doesn't know anything about you. You're a 17 year old punk kid. Go back and go back to where you belong, playing with sheep. And all of a sudden, David raises up in this anointing and he says, Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason? Is there not a reward to do this? Is there not a cause to fight? Is there not a a reward to get? Is there not a reason to go? He said, I'll fight him. All of a sudden he stands up and everybody's like, Aliab's like, whatever. And he's probably thinking in his mind, if David dies, then surely God will have to pick me as king. This might be a great excuse. Just let him die. Punk kid, he don't know anything. And David says, "I'll fight that giant." King Saul hears about it and he says, "Hey, David, you want to you want to kill this giant? Hey, listen here. Where my armor? Hey, hey, servants, go, come put his, put my armor on him. Make sure he has the sword and the shield, and he has the best of the best armor. So give him mine, right? There's a little bit of motive there." Because if he goes out and kills Goliath, guess who the people think killed Goliath? That's King Saul. And David says, this stuff don't fit. I don't know how to handle a sword. Is there like a creek or something? I need some rocks. Because I got this slingshot. And I know how to use a slingshot. And I've killed a bear and I've killed a lion before with this. That I don't know how to do. But this I do know how to do. And he goes to this creek and he just goes and gets, he doesn't have any armor on him. He has his little flip flops and he has his little, his little scored on. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, let's do this. And he gets five stones. You know why he got five stones? Not because he ever thought he was going to miss. Watch this, study it. There were four other giants in the land. There was one man with six fingers on each hand, or six five fingers and one thumb, and then six toes on each foot. Watch this. He was going, wait a second, if we're gonna do this, let's do it all. Let's not put this off another moment. See, everyone else was just talking about it, but I'm done talking and I'm ready to do something about this problem. I know what I've seen God do for me. I've seen him deliver the bear. I've seen him deliver the lion. And this is just another opportunity to watch God work. And he stands in front of this giant and this giant says, is there not a man? But instead you send me this boy with sticks. What am I, a dog? And David says, today I will feed your head to the birds of the air. Because I'm not coming with my abilities. I'm coming in the name of the Lord. See, the third point is this. God is not looking for what you can do, but what you will allow him to do through you. See, you have to find what works for you and you have to do it. David used what he had and he did what needed to be done. I can tell you Speed the Light story after Speed the Light story. I can take you to Marion, Marion, Indiana, and introduce you to a 17-year-old kid that last year got a burden for missionaries and got a burden for Speed the Light. And he simply said, I've got to do my part. So he went to his basketball team, the Varsity High School basketball team, and said, we've got to raise money. And they said, okay, let's do this. And they said, for every game, let's get people to sponsor. Every game that we win, let's get people to sponsor us. They went almost to state and raised $1,700. Permissions. I can take you to the kid in Louisiana that heard this as a freshman going into his sophomore year and said, I've got to do something. I, I don't know how to do anything else but play football and I'm not even really good at football. So he started working out really hard. He started practicing. He was constantly running, studying film. And all of a sudden, he, was the, he wasn't even the starter. He was the bench warmer. And he says, you know what? For every touchdown I throw, I'm going to give money to speed. I'm going to get people to sponsor me. But I got to start, God, help me. All of a sudden, the end of August comes. It's right in the beginning of the season. The coach calls him and he says, hey, Johnny, you ready? You ready to play football? You ready to start and lead this team? And he says, well, yeah, coach, what's going on? And he says, Billy, Billy just got expelled from school because of decisions he made. That was the starting quarterback. And he says, we need you to step up. We're in a world of hurt. You ready to go? I've been watching you. I've been seeing your consistency. Are you ready to go? And he says, yes, sir. First game, he, he, he ran like for 200 and some yards. He threw three touchdowns. And I mean, the coach was like, oh my gosh, this kid is awesome. So after the first game, he went to his coach and he said, hey coach, I'm doing this thing. I'm getting people to sponsor me $5 for every touchdown pass that I throw. And he said, would you sponsor me? And the coach says, I can't do that. I'll lose my job. you will get kicked out of school. I can't pay players to get touchdowns. And he goes, but I'm doing it for missions. And he said, I still can't do that. And he said, but what I can do is every time we get in the red zone, I'll give you all four downs no matter whether we score or not because I believe in you and I'm a man of God myself and I believe in what God's going to give us some favor in doing this. 28 touchdowns later, over $2,000 he raised throwing touchdowns. A little girl in, C- in Cedar Ridge, Colorado, just for every serve she got over the net, she raised money over $1,800. One of the coolest stories is a little girl in a very small town in Minnesota. A town of less than 200 people went to a youth camp, started praying, heard about Speed of Light and said, what can I do? Went and down to the altar and they were taking pledges. They were just writing down numbers, what God told them to do. And she wrote down the number 734, 734. And she was like, God, 734, that's just got to be me. Why not 750? Why not 700? God, and she just felt it in her heart. So she wrote down 734. She did everything she could do. Babysat. She collected cans. She served. She worked. She did whatever she could. She cleaned. And she only raised about $500. So about the middle or the beginning of November, her dad was a professional archer guide, hunting guide. And he said, hey, listen, how much are you short? She said, $234. Dad, I don't know what to do. And he said, I'm not going to give you the money. I think that's God saying, okay, you're done. (laughs) Is that like recess time? Can we go play now? (laughs) Yes, Lord, thank you for recess. That was the coolest little sound ever. I don't even know what that is. Squirrel. <laughs> she said, Dad, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he says, this is what I'm going to do. He said, I, I just recently won a trip to Canada to go hunting for me and another person. He said, I'd like you to go with me. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll give you a dollar for every pound the deer weighs. Three days, nothing. And if if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, I'm sorry if this offends you. But watch Veggie Tales. Broccoli has fillings too. (laughs) You'll starve to death. You'll just drink water from now on. (laughs) But they go hunting for three days. They don't see nothing. Nothing. Fourth day, she's discouraged. Last day, and she goes, Dad, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, have you prayed? Have you asked God to help you? So in a tree stand that day, they started praying. She said, God, I need your help. I want to be faithful to do what you call me to do. I need your help. And all of a sudden, she hears some noise, and her dad says, look, and looks up, and hears grandpa deer walking out of the bush, 22 yards away from her. She pulls her arrow, sticks it. They go to weigh it. Anybody have a clue how much it weighs? 234 pounds. Her dad says, wait a second, isn't that exactly what you need? And she said, yeah. And he goes, you got your goal. And she starts weeping. And she goes, no, dad. I heard God. I heard God. And if God spoke to me and I can trust that I hear him about how much money that I had to raise, I also can hear God because at the same camp, God called me to be a missionary. Listen, though, it is a part of of being, doing something great for the kingdom. But here's my closing. You ready? David's dad just needed an anointed little delivery boy to deliver groceries, right? But because of his faithfulness and obedience to do the small things, he was still a delivery boy. The the calling never changes, although the mission does. And instead of just delivering groceries, he ended up delivering an entire nation. Because what he did for his earthly father, his heavenly father, saw that he could be trusted because of his heart and he ended up delivering not only an entire nation but being one of the greatest kings that the seed that Jesus came through. Why? Because he was willing to do something. I don't know about you. I don't want to just look the part. Forget that. I don't want to just make noise. I want to make a difference. I'll give my entire life to making a difference for God. But here's my question. What is standing in front of not only us as a movement, but what is standing in front of you that everybody else is running from? I believe with everything inside of me, God is calling his church to stand and stand firm like never before. We have bowed down to intimidation. We have bowed down out of fear. We have bowed down because of all these different things. But let me explain something. It is time that we start to stand. It is time that we, it's not just about us doing our part. It is about God, allowing God to do his part through us. See, his call was to deliver, but his mission changed from delivering groceries to delivering a nation, all because of his willingness to be faithful and obedient, to do what God had called him to do. Can I get you on the piano again? What's God asking you to do? Can you just close your eyes all over this place? And the game doesn't start until 8.30, right? So I did good. I did good. I did good. God, we did good. I want you to close your eyes all over this place. What's God asking you to do? What's God asking you to do? For tonight, we're going to take up an offering for missions. What's God asking you to do for a missionary? Maybe you'll never meet this missionary. Maybe maybe you'll never even go on a missions trip, but you're going to help equip missionaries to do what God has called them to do. Maybe you can't do it right now. Maybe it's going to take a little bit of time. Maybe it's going to to take some effort. With your eyes closed, I was here a few years ago and I brought a young man by the name of Thomas with me who was in our school of ministry. Thomas walked across the entire state of Alabama to raise $12,000 for Speed of Light. After seven days, couldn't even walk because of the blisters on his feet. He's now youth pastoring in the very city in the very is the church that raised him. And they're still doing supernatural things. A church of less than 40 people on a Sunday morning last year raised $12,500. Because I've found out when you get serious about what God's serious about, God gets serious about what you're serious about. This isn't about name it and claim it, this isn't about, hey, I'm going to give so I can get more. This is about what is God asking you to do that may be sacrificial, may be a reach, may be something that is a stretch. If God tells you to give nothing, give nothing. You you owe nobody no explanation. Everybody can do something, but if God tells you to do nothing, do nothing. But only do what God is asking you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. This isn't tithe. This isn't something that you owe. This is something that is offered. Something that is given out of the generosity of your heart. So this is what we're going to do. okay? I'm going to have these two two pans up here, if you will. These two offering plates. If God puts something in your heart and you're, 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 you're kind of, you've wrote it down. Maybe you've written the check. Maybe you're doing that right now. Maybe you put it in the envelope. Let's just say this. If God's given you a number, this is, we're not going to hold you to this. But if you'll fill out one of those envelopes of just a pledge, something that you're going to work for maybe the next five weeks to accomplish, that when you do accomplish it, or maybe you don't accomplish it, but by the first, the first week in December, you'll do whatever you can do and you drop it in that basket with speed, for speed of light. I believe with everything inside of me that this church God's going to continue to bless. I love the growth. I love the new building. But let me explain something. God's wanting to do more. And He's not looking just at your abilities. He's looking for hearts that can be trusted with an assignment. So Father, I pray right now, without any type of hidden motive, motive manipulation, God, without guilt, I ask that you would begin to speak loud and clear to every person, every student. God, every adult in here, What can we do to help get our missionaries? The people that you have called. The people that you hand selected. The equipment. God, yes, you could provide everything that they need. But Lord, you've invited us into a partnership with you. Lord, help us to do our part. Let's not just look the part. Help us to do our part. Let's not just make noise. Let's make a difference. And God, I pray... That we would combine what we can do with what you can do. And we would begin to see the giants in this land fall. In Jesus' name, amen.